This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome inside the first December edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast in 2017, the show before the show from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City, episode number 137. Hi, Sam. Hi Tyler, how are you doing? I'm uh, I'm good. It's uh, we got some new. It's Logo Sember now. It's no longer Logo Vember. Have guess. we ever called it Logo Sember? Uh, I don't think so. I thought it was always Logo Vember. Right. I, Brandios. It, it, Brandios just, just changing the month. Busted now. that out as if that was yeah. something we always use. Like no, don't we need to vote and, on this? I know. Yeah. Shouldn't we have a say in this? We have a like, system here. Content producers, isn't that something? We're living we in a society. We're supposed to <laughs> act in a rules. civilized way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Apparently, the Jason and Casey yesterday over at Brandy O's, they just declared that this is now uh, the month of Logo Sember, which in years past, and we'll, we'll talk about this with Benjamin Hill uh, coming up here in just a little bit, but in years past, it has been Logo Vember. And in case you're wondering just what in God's name we're talking about, um, <laughs> some new <laughs> logos and names and identities and uniforms and stuff being rolled out by teams around the minor leagues. we got a couple of those to talk about today. There's one more coming up later on this week that we'll, we'll touch on. We won't give you the, the deets on it because uh, we're going to let the Gwinnett fill in the blanks, have their day in the sun coming up on Friday. Um, but with that, uh, we welcome you into this week's edition of the show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you found us at MILB.com slash podcast on iTunes podcast on Google play on the stitcher app and elsewhere. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription. If you would be so kind and let us know what you think of the show, you can get in touch with us, submit your questions, your thoughts, your comments, your concerns podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykes or MILB. And I am there at Tyler Mon. And, uh, I guess that rolls us right into it. We got some free agency news news out of the minor leagues it's kind of a interesting thing to talk about in number generally guys who are signing minor league free agent contracts aren't really going to generate that many headlines but this is definitely a different case the los angeles angels of anaheim have signed 17 year old shortstop kevin maiton who you may recall was the top prospect deemed a free agent in the penalties levied by major league baseball against the atlanta braves for the braves transgressions on the international amateur signing market kevin maiton is the number 38 overall prospect in baseball according to mlb pipeline coming out of last season um had kind of an up and down 2017 flashed some of the tools that made scouts really like him coming out of the international market when he signed with the Braves in 2016. Um, didn't really blow up in his professional debut, but still a lot to like. And an interesting place for him to land. I don't think the Angels were high on the uh, on the list of expected teams where Kevin Maiton would fall, but um, that is apparently the deal, and that's where Kevin Maiton will continue his professional career. Yeah, this, this was kind of hard to predict just because of the scenario that uh, was involved here. Um, for anybody who didn't listen to our podcast a couple weeks ago, our, our special podcast, um, you know, the Braves had international rules sanctions or international signing sanctions, sanctions, uh, 13 players that they had un had signed or were about to sign, uh, were declared free agents immediately. 
Um, they were given a couple weeks to sign with new clubs. It seems like that dam is kind of burst open now. Uh, MLB.com is Jesse Sanchez has a lot of details on a, a lot of these signings. He's one of those guys who really has the, his ear to the ground on the international scene. I, I recommend following him on Twitter and, and hearing, you know, seeing him break all this news. But as it was coming in, Maiton's definitely kind of the crown jewel or the biggest name anyway uh, of these released Braves prospects who are now entering entering the pool. Um, to say that we knew exactly where they were going to go, this isn't like a major league situation where you can say, oh, this club has an opening at shortstop. They're, they should be in the market for Maiton or this club, you know, has a depth issue up the middle. They should be for Maiton, whatever. Uh, it's basically whoever thought they were going to, whoever could push the most money at him. Um, as part of the major league, I wouldn't say agreement, but um, sanctions of this, teams could either use whatever remaining 2017, 2018 money they had left in the international pool, or they could dip into 2018, 2019. Uh, so the Angels end up signing Maiton for $2.2 million. Uh, he did sign originally for the Braves for $4.25 million. He got to keep that money. Yeah, so Kevin Maiton financially Kev is making out pretty well from this uh, this whole situation. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, that's kind of <laughs> Good for him. That, yeah, imagine going to a player saying you did nothing wrong. A teenager, the guy's only 17. Go into a teenager and say, we know you signed for $4.25 million. We're going to need that back. Right, right. you did nothing wrong, but the other guys did something wrong. Right. So give us the money back, please. Um, so anyway, yeah, he gets to make out pretty good. Uh, but because it's $2.2 million, the Angels had about $1.3 million left for 2017-2018. So this is going to come out of 2018-2019. Now, what does that mean for the Angels? Uh, as Tyler laid out, you know, Maiton had an up-and-down year this year. Um, certainly a lot of people were more down on him now than they were at the beginning. Right now, he is ranked at, uh, at number 38 in MLB.com's overall top 100 rankings. He's certainly going to fall. I know some people don't even think he's top 100 anymore. Uh, a lot of the reason for that is he's listed at six foot two, 190 pounds. Some people think he's gotten bigger than that, uh, not in a good way necessarily. He has some conditioning issues. Uh, you know, only a teenager. Certainly possible he could grow back in into it and turn some of that into muscle and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if he's going to grow off it, that means he's probably going to move off of shortstop, uh, in which case he's going to have to really show a better hit tool than he did this year at rookie level Danville in the Appala Appalachian League, where he had 220 with a 273 OBP and 323 slugging. Um, at, at times the power was there. At times it certainly wasn't. Uh, you know, he's going to strike out a bunch. He struck out 39 times and 127 at-bats. At Switch hitter, you know, there, there's a lot to like in the building blocks. Um, but what he showed on the field this year certainly left a lot to, to be desired. Uh, probably why, you know, the, the signing bonus was what it was. It wasn't like he was going to get $4 million again. Um, but the fact that he goes to the Angels, as things stand, he is the Angels' only top 100 prospect. Again, he's kind of right on that line. But the other interesting thing is the Angels have a couple guys who are right on that line. Joe Adele, you know, 10th overall pick this year. Uh, you know, he's got one heck of a bat. Um, some questions about what's going to happen with his arm. I know he had some arm issues this year. Played only DH, but when he was in the outfield, didn't look as strong as it did in high school. Still a very toolsy outfielder. Same thing can obviously be said about Jemai Jones, who's climbing the ladder. Uh, he's at least average, if not above average, in all five tools. He's become really fun to watch. Now, all of a sudden, the Angels, who kind of used to be the laughing stock of farm systems, uh, you know, I think since they traded Sean Newcomb and Andrew Haney graduated, it, it's been, 
you know, a rough time, as you heard us talk to Michael Hermosillo last week, uh, you know, what the Angel system used to be and what it is now. It's a system of, of a lot of toolsy guys, specifically outfielders. You add Maiton to that mix, it gets even more interesting. Um, he n- isn't single-handedly, because of those questions, going to drag them into you know a top-10 system necessarily. But for a team that needed talent, to needed that needed to enrich its system, um, going out and deciding, you know what, Maiton's the guy we want to spend some money on um, and putting down a good chunk of change in $2.2 million is, is a good strategy. Um, they still have 1.3 this year. We know they're still in the Otani sweepstakes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but, you know, for the Angels, things are certainly pointing up, and this only helps their case. And it comes pretty timely after we talked to Michael Hermosillo on last week's episode of the show before the show. And you can catch that one, by the way, at MILB.com slash podcast, or you can find it on iTunes and Google Play. Beyond being an Angels prospect, Michael Hermosillo, another really talented, really intriguing guy in a very interesting interview. So go catch that one. That was the the pre, if you will, to the post, the before to the after, the Kevin Maiton signing. So system that the shine was lost on for quite some time, but is now looking better and better as things come along in that Angels organization. Strike two is part of three strikes this week, Sam. You talked about Shohei Otani, and that was the subject of a Toolshed column this week, written by one Sam Dykstra. When he comes over, Shohei Otani will technically be a prospect. 23 years old, coming out of the Pacific League as part of Nippon Professional Baseball in Japan. He has played professionally in Japan for five years, but under these new rules of the CBA, technically at 23, he is still considered an international amateur signee. So with that, when he comes over, even if he never sets foot in a minor league ballpark, Shohei Otani, until the season gets started, will be considered a prospect uh, in whatever major league organization lands him. So as far as systems with other prospects go sam's column tackles who could really use those systems as a talking point joey otani wants to come over to a team as of right now all indications are on the west coast in a smaller market ish although the chicago cubs are reportedly one of his uh, his finalists which is kind of strange because they don't fall into either of those categories um but and also one with a with a bright future so who among these teams and the seven finalists in addition to the clubs the six others are the angels who sam just talked about los angeles dodgers the san francisco giants the san diego padres the seattle mariners and the texas rangers what about the systems for those teams could be selling points to shohei otani Right. So basically the thought process here, you laid it out pretty well, is just all these seven teams this week. And according to you know reports, as all these presentations have already happened, but all these teams are going to be sitting down with Otani, sitting down with his re- representatives and trying to sell their club. Uh, you know, it, we know that money isn't necessarily the biggest issue here. It's not a negotiation thing um, because he's international amateur signee. Uh, there's a limit to how much he can sign for. The most right now that he could sign for is, you know, 3.53 million coming out of the Rangers. He's going to make a lot of money in endorsements, so maybe necessarily a difference between the Rangers at 3.3 or 3.53 million and 300,000 isn't going to make that big of a difference to him. What could be a big thing though is because he's an international amateur signee, he's not signing a major league contract. He's not saying I will come to you for four years. You know, 160 million dollars. No, obviously that would be a very large contract. Uh, four years, 100 million. We'll say that's not the way it works. It's he signs. He's going to be making the major league minimum. A couple of years, he's going to be going into arbitration. 
just like any other rookie would. So he's going to be with this club for six years, theoretically. You know, they could trade him, they could do whatever. Um, but this is a very long-term move. So he's probably going to be asking, what does your future look like? You know, what do you have in the farm system? What's your plan going forward? Um, and, and trying to look at this through that lens, I think the San Diego Padres get so much more interesting to him. Uh, you know, they tick the boxes of being on the West Coast. They are a smaller market than L.A. or Chicago, certainly in the New York or Houston or anything like that, San Francisco. Um, and he can become kind of, you know, the guy for a little while. You know, as good as Will Myers is, Otani would automatically become the most interesting player on that roster. Uh, but it, it's not just him. You know, we know pretty soon there's going to be a really good influx of talent coming there. Uh, you know, uh Fernando Tatis Jr. had a breakout year this year, uh, became a 22 homer, 32 steal guy at 18 years old, made it all the way up to double A. Uh, Luis Urias, one of my favorite prospects because he has maybe the minor's best hit tool, rarely strikes out. He only turned 20 in June. The arms in this system are fantastic. Uh, Fort Wayne had a killer rotation this year uh, that had not only Michelle Baez and Adrian Morajone, um, but, you know, younger aren't like Mackenzie Gore was the third overall pick. He might have been the top high school arm in the country this year. Uh, Cal Quantrill's working his way up. Uh, he finished the year at double A. He's probably going to start next year at triple A as one of the best changeups in the minors there. The building blocks are obviously in place for the Padres. And if there's somebody who's following the Astros, the Cubs model to a T right now in the game, it's either the White Sox or the Padres. The Padres tick all those other boxes you mentioned, Tyler. Uh you know, being on the West Coast, being small market. And, and you the know fact what else that is interesting about the Padres, too, and this has started to come out more and more as people, I think, kind of looked at that list and thought the Padres are in on this. There's a pretty long-standing relationship between the Padres and the Nippon Ham Fighters, Shohei Otani's team in Japan. The Fighters have held spring training at the Peoria Complex in Arizona that the Padres share with the Mariners for the last seven years. The Padres were the team with the working agreement with the Fighters for that, so he's familiar with the complex, familiar with some of the personnel there. Akinori Oda who was a Padres closer for a while, moved on to the Rangers afterwards, but was a legend in Japan before he came over to the United States, communicated with Otani, I think as far back as high school for Shohei Otani. There's some familiarity there. It seems like there are a lot of connections between the Padres and Shohei Otani that have started to come to light. Um, to the point that one of my my best friends from college is a is a long time lifelong San Diego Padres fan. His team has had uh, season tickets his entire life, and he said, "Is it possible that AJ AJ Preller has been playing this long game this entire time?" That would very much <laughs> surprise me, but it seems like there's a lot between the Padres and Otani that could make this happen. Oh, for sure, and um, yeah, like they would just it would he would become the guy there. They'd fill out the roster incredibly well. Uh, there just seems to be so much going right. The only thing that they don't have necessarily, and this might be kind of a wrench in the idea that Preller's been playing the long game on this, is that they can only sign him for three hundred thousand dollars. Right. Like if, if they thought it was this strong, maybe they wouldn't have gone over. You know, they wouldn't be limited to this amount. They would save all their money knowing Otani's coming. But still, I mean, you those things can't be discredited. Um, so if we're just looking at a team that's going to be pitching based on its farm system. Uh, the Padres are certainly top in that list. I would have just below that the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, amongst the teams that are kind of left here. The Dodgers, kind of similar situation, can only sign them for $300,000. Um, obviously, being one game away from the, the World Series is interesting. Uh, 
that's a good enough sell in itself and the major league roster is going to sell itself. Um, but there's tons also there, you know, Walker Bueller made his major league debut this year. Uh, Alex Verdugo did the same thing. Those are guys knocking on the door. If there are any holes to fill, they could plug them very quickly. Uh, Yadier Alvarez, Kyber Ruiz, he's Neil Diaz. Those are other top 100 names. Jaron Kendall might've been the tools leadest outfielder in this year's draft has some strikeout worries, but he could be another guy if he starts making contact, can move quickly. You know, this is a loaded major league team and a loaded system. Um, you know, so if that front office is trying to prove that they're ready for the long run, they can do that as well and also point to their financial options. Um, you know, if they're signing Otani to such a low amount, we know that the Dodgers have the biggest uh, salary right now in the game, and they can certainly add to that as, as the years go on and worried to go there as well. Um, you know, some hangups, obviously that is a big market. It's the second biggest market in the country and they do kind of own the city of Los Angeles. The angels are out there in orange, orange County. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's Padres and Dodgers who can kind of do that. Some of those other teams, you know, the Cubs as good as they are at the major league level, the pipeline is kind of dried up, uh, almost by design. You know, they flooded the major league team with guys who are going to be there for a while, had to trade assets to do that. That's the way that works. Uh, Angels, we've already talked about. It's getting better. You know, they they can show that they're willing to pour resources into their farm system and, and improve it, um, but they're still not there to the point that it's a selling point. Uh, the Giants, you know, we'll we'll talk about talk about that in the next uh, segment. There are some pieces there, but there's not that many. Uh, again, they're going to be talking about their major league team trying to pitch, be, playing with Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey, that kind of thing. Seattle Mariners. Uh, DePoto, you know, the, the worry is that Otani could sign there and actually get traded pretty quick. That's obviously wouldn't happen. But DePoto trades so much of his minor league talent and his prospects to improve <laughs> the major league product that he can't really talk about the farm system right now. Maybe you point to Kyle Lewis. They'll ship him off for say, a very fleet footed outfielder. Right. Somebody yeah. who can get into that mix in Seattle. Right. Um, and then the, the Texas Rangers have some interesting pieces as well, but they're mostly going to try to be selling him on, you know, the fact that they used to have Yu Darvish. Yu Darvish went from the Nippon Ham Fighters to to Texas pretty easily, handled that transition well. They've d been through this before, and they can offer the most money. Uh, they won't necessarily be talking about their farm system because it's not a particularly deep one. Um, so I think the Padres are in the best position here, at least over the long run, to talk about it. But the Dodgers have the major league pieces to the point where and the minor league pieces to the point where I would put them number two uh, if we're just focusing on youth and, and trying to project forward. It's kind of interesting how the fighters seem to just churn out one star after another. Uh, Mew Darvish, like you mentioned, pitched there from 2005 to 2011. Shohei Otani over the last five years. The, the fighters also came away with the uh, top talent in the NPB draft this year that basically every team over there wanted in first baseman Kotaro Kiyomiya. Keep an eye out on that name because he, future WBCs, maybe a future guy who can come over to the United States. He has said that he would love to test himself in the United States at some point. It's a long ways off. He's only 18 years old, but a really fun prospect as well. Strike three this week. Sam um that's the one one of two right now big offseason dominoes to fall is Shohei Otani where he's going to end up landing the other one is Giancarlo Stanton the major league home run leader in 2017 and the National League most valuable player right now there appear to be two deals with frameworks in place one to the St. Louis Cardinals one to the San Francisco Giants the Miami Marlins seem to have those worked out and are trying to figure out how to proceed from here. The 
overriding point I think about these deals is this is largely for salary relief for the Marlins. Because when you look at these two systems, neither one of them is a crown jewel system of minor league baseball right now. You're not going to be hauling in five top 100 prospects, that type of thing, in exchange for Giancarlo Stanton, even maybe multiple top 100 prospects. But still, there are pieces in these systems that would make deals intriguing. Who would have the better offer of these two? Um, well, the, the one thing that it has broken is that there is a rumor out there that the Giants' official package that they have offered to the Marlins is basically their top four prospects um, in any order. Um, but that would be Elliot Ramos, their first-round pick this year. Christian Arroyo, who was a breakout star in the first half, then got injured, uh, made it all the way to San Francisco. Chris Shaw, uh, who's knocking on the door, has tons of power. They've been moving him between left field and first base, trying to find a position for him. And Tyler Beatty, uh, former Vanderbilt star who had a rough friend year this year. Podcast. Friend of the podcast. has been on the podcast before. Uh, who had a rough year this year in the PCL, um, but has some interesting pieces to kind of be a, a, a back end of your rotation starter and certainly eat innings. Um, so, that, that, so that's four pieces that we feel like we definitely know. The Cardinals hasn't necessarily been out there as much. Um, maybe they're just much more tight-lipped about what they're willing to offer here. Uh, the one name that keeps coming up is number nine prospect Sandy Alcantara, who I think is actually going to cr- climb when MLB uh, re-updates their, their rankings later this offseason. Uh, Alcantara has a 70-grade fastball, one of those guys who can pretty easily touch triple digits, uh, especially in shorter outings. He made eight relief appearances for the Cardinals at the game's highest level this year. Um, a pretty good changeup. He's always going to have questions about control. That's what's kind of holding him back. Is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? Uh, but an interesting piece to add. And then there's some other ones in there. Uh, you know, the Cardinals certainly have more top 100 prospects than the, the Giants do. I feel like Alex Reyes is probably untouchable in a deal like this. Uh, but Carson Kelly, Jack Flaherty, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, even, you know, Magnera Sinera. Sierra, who's kind of right on the line there, being a top 100 guy, super speedy, uh, played some time for the Cardinals this year, all would necessarily be in that conversation. Um, I'm sure if the Marlins had their pick, they would much rather take four prospects from the Cardinals system than from the Giants system. Um, you know, but this isn't necessarily saying, like, I have four coins in my pocket, and Tyler, you have four coins in your pocket, and we're going to assume they're equal. Uh, you know, the, the, the Cardinals have quarters in their pockets while the Giants kind of have dimes, I would say. Um, so this this isn't going to be a four versus four matchup. If those are the four prospects that the Giants are willing to give up and eat $250 million of Giancarlo Stanton's contract, the Cardinals may be giving up three prospects, but they're going to be of a higher caliber. Um, I would love to see Carson Kelly get a shot somewhere. Uh, another friend of the podcast, he's been on here before. Um, you know, He's somebody who moved from third base to catcher, has really improved at catcher. But he's stuck behind Yadier Molina, who signed an extension and is trying to be in St. Louis even longer. Um, Kelly doesn't have an obvious path to being a major league starter right now. I'd love to see him get that elsewhere. Um, But if I'm a Marlins fan, right now you're waiting, according to everything we're reading, everything we're hearing, that the Marlins have accepted a Giants package and they've accepted a Cardinals package. And... You know, it's, it's waiting on Stanton to waive his no-trade clause to one of those two places. Maybe the Dodgers are going to get involved, but um, hopefully we find out before the end of the winter meetings. If it's those two teams that are involved, I would, if I were a Marlins fan, I would hope for the Cardinals package because there's probably higher-ceiling players there. 
um, not just on Alcantara, but probably what else is left there. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll hopefully be finding out the uh, more specifics about that in the coming days. So that's three strikes for this week's edition, the 137th episode of the show before the show podcast. A couple of other um, news items, some housekeeping notes uh, announced today. We're recording this on Wednesday, December 6th. Um, Columbus and Huntington Park will be the host of both the 2018 AAA All-Star Game and the 2018 AAA National Championship Game. Those will be on July 18th and September 18th of next year. And uh, out of the Chicago White Sox organization, an interesting news item from Monday. The White Sox have tabbed Omar Vizquel, the former 24-year major leaguer and 11-time Gold Glove Award winner as the manager of Class A Advanced Winston-Salem for next year. Omar Vizquel was uh, last four seasons, served in a variety of capacities at the major league level with the Detroit Tigers, and so he'll move over to the White Sox organization, a place where he played in 2010 and 2011, and take over the managerial reins in Winston-Salem. Um, Vizquel does have a little bit of managerial experience in his past. He was the manager of Venezuela's team in the 2017 World Baseball Classic. So that will do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes. Coming up, we are going to head to the Toronto Blue Jays organization, and a guy who has played a whole lot of ball out outside the regular confines of the minor league and major league schedule over the last few years. And he's doing it again right now uh, down in the Mexican Pacific league with the Charles de Jalisco, Anthony Alford, the talented outfielder a guy who made his big league debut last year. And one of the most exciting prospects in that Toronto organization joins the show from Mexico coming up next. Well, for the first time in the 137 episodes of this podcast, we are going to head to the Mexican Pacific League winter ball south of the border, and we're going to find there Toronto Blue Jays prospect Anthony Alford, who joins the show from Jalisco, Mexico, where he is manning center field and uh, a little bit of left field in game number one this season for the Charros de Jalisco. Anthony, welcome to the show. How is the how's the Pacific League treating you so far? Um, it's going good so far. Um, weather's nice, a lot nicer than it is back at home. Um, Awesome, awesome scenery, um, awesome people. So um, baseball is fun over here. Um, so not that it's not fun at home, but it's it's, it's a different it's a different um, environment over here at the baseball games. It's an awesome experience. Well, just for uh, for references sake right now in Toronto, um, we'll we'll get a an idea of just what the contrast would be between Mexico and where Blue Jays fans may be hearing you. But I would assume in Toronto, it's like, you know, the middle of death winter right now. Uh, it's apparently 37 degrees there Fahrenheit, which is like zero Celsius. Right. I think if my math is correct. And in Mexico, yeah. I would think, yeah, maybe a little bit better. So if you could gloat to Blue Jays fans about what it's yeah. been like, <laughs> then there you go. No, but tell us about it. Cause yeah. the, 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 the Caribbean leagues are such a different atmosphere. You've played a lot of off-season ball already in your career. You played in the Australian Baseball League in 2014-2015. You went to the Arizona Fall League. And now being down in Mexico, just how different is that experience? The cheering sections are nuts. The ballparks are sold out. They're loud. They're intense atmospheres. What has that experience been like for you? Um, It's been awesome. I, I feel like it's just it's easier to get up for the games. And um, it's easy. I mean, easier to be motivated. And um, it's, you look forward to getting on the field every day and competing. Um, by far, this is probably the best experience that I've had um, at, on Winter Ball. Um, so it's it's awesome to see how they, they do things over here. And at the same time, I, I get to see how those guys feel whenever they come to the States, even though they can't speak much English. And 
um, having to have translators. And so I, I get to kind of see how Latin players feel when they get to come to the States. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm loving the experience. Yeah, well, uh, the numbers certainly back that up the way you're playing so far. Uh, you're batting 367 for, through the first 12 games with an 862 OPS. Uh, you know, what's allowed you to kind of hit the ground running, um, you know, through these first dozen games down there? And, and what's allowed you to take to that league so well? Um, I've honestly, I just try to pick up where I left off and uh, during the season. And, and I have a few things that I wanted to, I had in mind coming down here what, that I wanted to work on. And I'm just getting to work on those things. Um, we have some good hitting coaches here, some good ball players, and um, just trying to be willing to learn every day try to learn something new and um, I'll just continue to try to get better. And like I said, it's an awesome atmosphere. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to compete and, and perform and put up numbers in this atmosphere because you're excited to play every day opposed to like trying to do it somewhere like the Florida State League or a rookie ball where you don't really get many fans. So um, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. Um, a lot of awesome people over here. Yeah, and when you say you were going down there with specific goals or specific things to work on, what what were those specific things? Um, for me, I, like I'm just kind of because I'm I'm leading off down here and I, I haven't led off all year um, during the season. I batted three hole most um, most of the time during the season this year, so just kind of getting back into um, that leadoff role and um, some some things mechanically that I wanted to work on, kind of opening up pool side and um, just just wanted to play around with some stuff. And um, that way, when I haven't, when I go into spring training, I know where I need to be and, and what I need to do to get ready for the season. And, and when um, it came up that you were going to be going to Mexico, you know, was this a, a Jays decision? Was this something you brought to them? I mean, how did this come up? Obviously, you missed a bunch of time this year. We haven't mentioned yet, you know, recovering from a left wrist injury, uh, a handmade injury. Um, so a lot of this is making up for lost at bats, but how did that conversation get going about you going down to Mexico? Um, well, when I came, I think sometime in August, I talked to um, Gil Kim, our, our form director, and he, he communicated with my agent, and, and I, I just told him I wanted to go play some winter ball somewhere and try to make up some of that bats I lost and um, just get that opportunity to um, pretty much to make up the bats and um, I wanted to play that because I always feel better like coming off of an off season where I played some kind of winter ball going into spring training. I always feel a lot better in spring training. So I, I just wanted to um, get those at bats and just continue to try to perfect my craft. And it was obviously something that the Blue Jays had to approve, but it's something that I wanted to do. Anthony, what's the roster mix been like down there? It's so interesting when you look at, um, you know, kind of across the spectrum of winter leagues, you get a mix of guys who are at all different stages of their careers. I mean, you're a, you're an up-and-coming guy. Jabari Blash, the Padres organization, is down there as part of that uh, Jalisco roster. Um, Chris Colabello, who has been in the big leagues. Rico Noel is down there. Jared Saltalamacchia is on that roster. I mean, there's so many guys that you've heard about that come from very different stages of their baseball lives, and you all get down to a place where, like you said, you don't speak the language. It's a very different atmosphere for you guys as ballplayers. Everybody coming together like that, what has that been like? Um, It's been awesome, and I think it's going to help me um, mentally, especially long-term as far as having, like, those veteran guys who's been in the bigs for a while. And um, I just think it's 
um, everybody have a different mindset because everybody's at different stages in their career and everybody's down here for different reasons. And, um, like, I don't know what Saltzlamaki's reason is or Calabello, but I, I know what my reason is for being down here. But um, it, it's awesome also getting getting around those veteran guys, getting to pick their brains and try to learn from them, not, also, not just the physical part of the game, but the mental part of the game. But it's definitely a total, totally different um, locker room environment uh, with the mature guys, older guys. For those of you who don't know Anthony's story prior to, um, you know, maybe this interview or, or hearing about him over the last couple of years in the Blue Jays system, drafted as a third-round selection of the Blue Jays back in 2012, played some college football, and then decided in 2014 going into 2015 that it was going to be baseball full-time. And that offseason, Anthony, the Blue Jays send you to Australia. You go down to Canberra, play 37 games for the Cavalry over there. And it was kind of your first real day-in, day-out experience with baseball. Up until that point, I think you'd only played – you know, maybe 25 games or so in the minor leagues. And the ABL was probably a good transition because you're only playing over weekends. It's not the same grind of a short season league, 70 games or full season league, 140. But now a few years removed from that, if you could go back and kind of talk to yourself when you got started in your first winter ball experience and going into your first full minor league year, what advice do you think you'd give yourself from a few years ago? Um, Don't, don't get – don't be result-oriented because um, back then, I mean, you talk about football, it's all about instant gratification. You want to see the results right then, but baseball, is, it's, a totally, it's a totally different breed. And, um, so it, more of don't be result-oriented and just uh, committing to the process and just try to focus on getting better every day. Um, but I'm, I'm at a totally different stage, obviously, in my career, and a totally different mindset. Um, like now I have more of a routine established. I know myself more as a baseball player. I know my know more about my strength my strengths and weaknesses. Um like when I was in Australia I didn't really know anything about myself as a baseball player besides what I done in high school. But um it's I've I, I can definitely see that I've come a long way, but I would definitely tell myself just um don't don't be so caught up in the results. Just commit to the process. And uh, you know, speaking of you saying you're a much different player now, part of that equation is that you are a guy now with major league experience. You got your major league debut back in May, May nineteenth, getting called up straight from Double A New Hampshire. Um, one of the most fun parts of our job is talking to guys about their major league debut and you know the moment they found out they were getting called up. Uh, for you, somebody who had only played as high as the FSL coming into this year and then a little over a month in New Hampshire in the Eastern League and then to skip a level and get called up, um, you know, what was that like making the jump? Um, just the, the first part of that, just finding out you were going to be a major league player, especially as a guy who you know used to be somebody who was trying to be both a college football player and a minor leaguer at the same time. Yeah, um... It was it was definitely awesome. I almost passed out when they told me. Um, I was <clears throat> it was late one night in, in Reddington, Pennsylvania, and um, they told me I was going up, and I thought I was just going to AAA, and um, I got promoted to AAA. But when they told me I was going to the bigs, it was like I couldn't believe it was happening. It's always something that I wanted to work towards, but um, just to believe it it was happening was it was like a, a dream come true, and. Um, like I, I literally almost passed out when they told me. Um, so it was, it was, it was definitely, um, it was definitely awesome. 
Do you have somebody there to catch you at least, just to just to be safe? Yeah, yeah every te- I feel like every team should hire yeah, somebody I, for that I, job. I, <laughs> just somebody yeah. creeping up from behind yeah, you, just I, in we, case. We was just um, on a long bus. I had I, I really thought I was dreaming because I, I just I literally just woke <laughs> up on a bus when I got off the bus about to get my luggage. Like I'm still, you know, you in that deep sleep and you feel like you sleepwalking, and then he he give me the he give me the news. I'm like. He got it's got to be a dream, and so I'm glad it wasn't a dream. It was good. Well, well, you got four games in with the Jays, and then unfortunately you had the injury. Um, You know, what was it like getting in that major league time, then having that injury so quickly uh, with the left hand mate? And what was the rehab process for something like that back? I know you had surgery, but um, what do you do to try to get back on the field as quick as you can when you have something like that? Um. For me, I, I just I really just try to do what the um, what the trainers tell me because obviously they're they're more experienced in that area and um, my handmade injury is it's pretty simple rehab. It's probably one of the easiest rehabs you ever go through. Um, my strength came back fast, um, so I, I was just so anxious to get back on the field and um, and my trainers told me it's really about your pain tolerance and how fast your strength come back and. Um, so I just went in there and got out there and rehab, and but I continued to um, try to take ground balls and keep my arms, my arm, my legs in shape. Um, so it, it was a pretty straightforward rehab. Anthony, from your perspective right now, there's a, a lot of exciting stuff coming up in that system. Um, according to MLB Pipeline, you're the third-ranked prospect in Toronto's organization, and in front of you are Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, two guys who turned heads everywhere they were last year. And obviously a little bit behind you in the organization, but – the the Blue Jays, you know, I think people kind of thought, well, the window's closed at the major league level. They've got guys getting older. It's going to be a while before we see them. I don't know if that's the case because there is a good amount of talent in that system. For you guys on the inside of it, what does it feel like right now knowing that you do have some really talented pieces that in your case are knocking at the major league door and for those younger guys aren't too far off? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know how anybody else thinks or what's their mindset, but I know – those guys are talented. I, I got to play with them a little bit when I was um, rehabbing, starting my rehab assignment. And those guys, they can just flat out swing it, and I, I think they have a bright future. Um, but I don't, I don't really. I'm the type of person I don't really try to look at what's going on in front of me. I just try to stand the moment and control what I can control. And and at that moment, it was whether it was being in um, Double A New Hampshire, Triple A Buffalo, or if I got that another opportunity in in Toronto. So I just I just really focused on controlling the place that I was at and, and um, standing that moment and just trying to go day to day. Because whenever I start thinking about, oh, this is happening or trying to play GM in my mind, then I feel like that's when things kind of start falling apart because I'm focused on something I shouldn't be focused on. But I, I think it's a lot of excitement um, um, from all the talent in the, in a, um, within the organization. And um, I think it's, it's going to be very exciting here in the near future for the Blue Jays. Yeah, that kind of leads me into what my next question was going to be is that, you know, now you are on the 40-man roster. Now you are a guy who doesn't need an invitation to spring training. You're going to be at spring training fighting for a job. Does that change at all how you view this offseason or how you even view playing in a winter league that you're trying to show off to your organization that you're ready for another major league try in April? Or is this kind of like a normal offseason for you? How does how does that kind of change your route? Your roster status, it's just, it's, like this. Um, really, it's just another off season. Um, 
Mary also is not like I just have a mentality that I'm just I just don't want anybody to outwork me. I don't want anybody to outcompete me. So I'm just down here really just trying to get better and work on my game. And because no matter what I do, I I can only control what I do on the field. I can't control how they set the roster or when they call me up. Um, so I I just really just come down here just to work on my game and, and whatever happens in spring training, it happens. Um, we'll just deal with it when that time comes. But I, I don't really get caught up in saying right, I'm going into spring training trying to make the team. Like, obviously, like, if that happened, that would be awesome. But I just really go into spring training trying to get ready for the season. Wherever I end up, whether it's AAA in Buffalo or um, Toronto, so wherever I end up, I just want to be ready on opening day. All right, we'll leave you on this one. Um, you know, one thing you were specifically known for is your speed. Um, people say you're a plus-plus runner, and that translates incredibly well into your defense and center field. Uh, the the Jays have kind of a special coach for both base running and outfield in Tim Raines, who now is a Hall of Famer. Um, what is your favorite story or favorite lesson you've learned from Rock in kind of using his knowledge and his skill set and translating that into your own? Uh, well, one, I don't know if you've ever been around Rock, but – 99.9% of the time, if you're around him, he's either laughing or cracking some kind of joke. But um, I think the biggest thing that he's helped me with is my confidence. Last year in spring training, he uh, we sat down and we talked for probably about an hour and a half. And I felt like he just took me on a um, journey of, of his career. And I felt like I was just – like I could just picture everything in front of me. And, and he was just telling me, kid, you got – every ability that you need to be successful and have a, a successful career at the major league level. And just from hearing that come out of his mouth, it automatically gave me confidence. And he just told me what I needed to work on and um, continue to talk about my strengths and my weakness and, and how, how I can get better in my weaker areas. And he just, just to reassure me that, um, that I can play at that level. And for somebody who did it as long as he did and had as much success as he had, it meant a lot coming from him. So I think that that would be the biggest moment that I – I mean, not everybody can say that they sat there for an hour and a half and talked to a Hall of Famer. Um, so uh, it was, that, was, that was an awesome experience for me, and uh, it, I feel like it really helped me a lot this past season. Anthony Alford of the Charles de Jalisco currently in the Mexican Pacific League. And just to round this out, uh, a good bookend, it is currently uh, 37 degrees Fahrenheit in Toronto, which translates to about 3 degrees Celsius. <laughs> right now in Guadalajara, and the, the Charles play just outside of Guadalajara, it is 80 degrees, which is about 26.67 degrees Celsius. So take that, Blue Jays fans. You can deal with that as your number three prospect. Has a lot of fun <laughs> south of the border. Anthony, thanks so much for the time, man. Best of luck the, the rest of the way in Mexico and uh, We'll be seeing you next year. All right. Thank you. Well, we started the episode this week by discussing something that we need to get Benjamin Hill's take on right out of the gate. And that is coming into 2017. Generally, when teams would unveil new logos and uniforms and, and all that type of stuff, new team names, it was during a period of time that we called logo Vember. As of yesterday, and we're recording this on Wednesday, December 6th, Brandios, the company in charge of so many minor league baseball rebrands in recent years, decided that it was going to be Logo Sember now, Ben. Have we moved this entire thing back a month? Well, I think that's the way it worked out. And um, 
2017. Is it just a 2017 um, thing? This is like a leap year. It just got pushed back. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, tied into any larger thing. I think okay. all all things considered, teams would generally like to do it a little earlier, but uh, factors come into play. What would really um, be perfect is if they could do Logober, like October. That would work better than these other ones, but that's never yeah, going to happen yeah. in the World Series. That's, that's the only reason. Yeah, I mean, some teams <laughs> might end up moving into Logo Annuary and Logrebuary, uh, not to mention Logarch. Logarch would be a very, very late in the game. Maybe like the short season teams could do Logarch. Could work. They could. I can't wait to see the hashtag. <laughs> so anyway, apparently it's Logo Sember now, um, but we are underway. Last week we teased uh, that we would have some new team identities coming out. Um, we don't have any new team identities, but we do have two new looks so far. The Hudson Valley Renegades in the Class A short season New York Penn League and the Augusta Green Jackets in the Class A South Atlantic League. Those two teams keeping the names, but new logos for each. The Renegades unveiled theirs um, on the 5th of December. And uh, today, the Augusta Green Jackets came out with theirs. Um, ben, tell us a little bit about each of these. I tried to make a comment about how cute the Renegades one was. Um, and then Ben told me that it would it, the mascot, the logo would be mad at me because I referred to it as a little guy. And maybe it's not little and maybe it's not a guy. So it just ruined my whole thing about finding it cute. Yeah, I'm here to keep you accountable, Tyler. Thanks, Ben. Hold my feet to the fire. But tell us about these two. Um, well, yeah, yesterday, I mean, we're speaking here on a Wednesday. So yesterday would be Tuesday in the particular timeline in which we're dealing with. Uh, the Hudson Valley Renegades released some logos. And this one, you know, kind of caught me off guard. Usually, you know, within our larger MILB.com operation, we are, um, you know, fully abreast of everything going on in the logo sphere. Um, but I think one of the reasons is that with the Hudson Valley – Maybe not a total rebranding. We might call it a, a refresh. Um, some enhancements. They kept the same color scheme. They kept the same uh, raccoon-centric look. Uh, but they worked with Studio Simon. You know, Dan Simon of Studio Simon uh, always does great work. I'm sure if you follow logos in the minor leagues, you're familiar with his work. Um, you know, he hasn't done as much as Brandios in recent years, but he's still a, a visible presence and uh, always good to see. So he's done a new uh, raccoon-centric uh, primary logo. And then something that was called an alternate primary logo, which I don't really know how that would work. I think that's just an alternate logo. It's an oxymoron. Yeah, I don't know if it's officially if officially called that, but I heard it referred to that uh, online. Um, that highlights the beauty of the Hudson Valley. So there's a Renegades logo with uh, bridge and water and a, a beautiful uh, upstate New York landscape. And uh, by upstate, I just mean any part of New York that's not in New York City. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so that came out yesterday. So not a total rebranding. The team fundamentally looks the same, but they're uh, turning 25. So I think they wanted to freshen things up on this uh, quarter century anniversary. And uh, one of their anniversary logos is the same logo with all three of the team's color schemes throughout their 25-year existence. So uh, cool to see them get a little bit of an update. And I got a blog post up on them, bensbiz.emmablogs.com. You know, Ben's Biz, you know me. Look it up, Ben's Biz blog. Check and it out, read about the logo. It's a rarity in that it is a smiling logo. Uh, I don't know if we've ever seen a smiling logo from Brandy O. Studio Simon comes in with a little. Sometimes it feels like the the lower level teams are a little bit more um, amicable to the, the cute, more child-friendly logos. But Hudson Valley's got like a smiling raccoon. He's, uh, he's friendly looking. He's not a snarling but animal of any kind. Yeah, I was going to say a it's a smirk. That's a better too. way to put it. It's a smirk, yeah. One side of his mouth is kind of curled But he's not up. snarling the it's way the, the angry um, logos that are currently in vogue. He's not doing that, which is kind of unique these days. 
It's mischievous. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you see jokes on Twitter about any new logo having the quote-unquote minor league scowl. Right, right, you know? right. And we do see a lot of scowling and snarling because when you think of minor league baseball, you do think of anger and discontent. Always, right? always. That's what this podcast is always about. Yeah. Um, one thing I like about these two is that I, I know the Renegades, they changed affiliates a couple of years ago and they changed colors. So this is like a Rays-centric color scheme as well. Yeah, the blue, white, and gray, um, definitely a, a Rays color scheme. And, you know, why not? They're a Rays affiliate. So, you know, it all makes sense. Right. Uh, and then moving on to Augusta, uh, they came out with – there's still the green jackets. Again, it's the same identity, um, but a, definitely a different look. What exactly have they done? Well, yeah, this is a full rebrand. Um, as many of you know, uh, the Augusta Green Jackets are moving to a new stadium in 2018. This is going to be the only new stadium in minor league baseball for next season. And uh, by moving across the Savannah River, they're actually uh, crossing the state line. So they're going from Augusta, Georgia at Lake Olmstead Stadium, their old home, to a new park, uh, SRP which is located across the Savannah River, and thus it is in North Augusta, South Carolina. So, you know, it's not a uh, rare thing to see a team moving into a new stadium. You want to uh, freshen up or redo other aspects of your brand in conjunction with such a big, uh, uh, you know, team milestone such as moving to a new home. So uh, Augusta, they worked with Brandios, and uh, they have new logos now. So you can check out an article on MILB.com about all that. I talked to Jeff Eisman, the... um, team president or president of the team's ownership group. Um, the old logo was a bee wearing a green jacket, and the green jacket, of course, refers to uh, you know the Augusta Golf Tournament, and if you win that thing, you get the green jacket. Now you don't see the green jacket, but you just have a bee that is essentially green. So there's a lot of green in the, uh, in the green jacket's logo. And uh, – Kind of what I would refer to as an Easter egg. There, so you don't see the green jacket, and it's not. It doesn't. Nothing golf themed might pop out at you immediately. But if you look at this bee, who is fierce, who is snarling a little yeah, bit, who's yeah. scowling. I mean, he's a bee. You know, he's got a stinger. He uh, is wearing a golf cap and has plaid, and uh, that is apparently the first uh, use of plaid in a primary logo. Um, so this bee is wearing a plaid golf uh, cap. And his eyes are golf ball dimples. So you can tell your friends that when you're at the bar talking about the new Green Jackets logo. You can be like, hey, did you notice this? And I bet you they didn't. And then they'll buy you a drink. Sure, you can go for that if you want to. <laughs> uh, and the other thing we should talk about, too, is this new A. That's different, too, as well, right? Yeah, we have an A in the uh, Green Jackets word mark that is a, a winged A. I prefer winged. Wing, of, winged is a good way. Instead of, of winged, yeah. uh, winged A. And so you have this uh, swooping winged A, winged A, uh, that with the – it's available as an alternate logo just on the cap, the A itself. But then on the green jackets um, wordmark, the A wings uh, you know, kind of swoop backwards into the J. So it gives the whole thing a uh, more stylized feel with these the winged A in the logo. So there you have it, an angry snarling B in a golf cap, a winged A, and the Augusta Green Jackets uh, wishing them the best as they move to a new ballpark in a new state in 2018. And part of the idea behind this is, I mean, you and I have talked about this, because like I actually, before I started this job, I knew the Augusta Green Jackets just because I love the concept of it literally being a B wearing a green jacket. Now this is not that. Like you said, there's no actual jacket. There's no direct reference to the masters anymore it's it's what if a green jacket existed in nature this is essentially what it would look like minus the golf cap and the dimple eyes exactly Uh, but that's supposed to speak more to local than national right 
that well, was the that, thought process. That, that, in the interview I did with uh, Jeff Eisenman again, yeah, he said, you know, maybe it's not as overt uh, the Green Jacket connection, but you know, who is our uh, primary, uh, the primary people we're trying to impress with this and get them to respond to is the local market. He's like, we've been around for 30 years; they know who we are and what we represent. So he didn't feel the need for it to jump out, perhaps, as it had in the past, but still very much that connection for sure. We have one more name change coming up this week. Name change slash identity change slash rebrand. Um, the Gwinnett Braves, who uh, have been like virtually every other minor league affiliate of the Atlanta Braves um, over the last 10, 15 years or so, have been named after the parent club. They will be changing their name. Um, they came down to a group of finalists that were among the strangest ones that we have seen throughout this recent run of, uh, of voting, of public voting submission and voting on, uh, on names for the future. The final six names that were announced by the team were the Gwinnett Buttons, Gobblers, Big Mouths, Hush Puppies, Lamb Chops, and Sweet Teas. Um, so Gwinnett will unveil its identity coming up on Friday and, uh, that one through Brandios as well. So keep an eye out for that. Brandios is doing their, their teasers. They release, you know, kind of the stream zoomed in, um, portions of logos with the words over the front and top of them. And they kind of give you an idea of maybe what's to come, but they hopefully keep everybody, uh, off the, the trail up until the last minute. And then what else, uh, is there more coming presumably since the whole month has been taken over by Brandiosa's logo Sember, um, there's gotta be a decent amount more on the way, correct? Uh, there is more on the way. I'm not exactly sure how many. There will be more in December after um, Friday's uh, Gwinnett unveil. And uh, Gwinnett is a big one. And you know, I was talking to um, North Johnson, the team president, uh, general manager today, and um, aspects of that conversation need to remain uh, confidential for now. I'm a you know, very well-sourced journalist. But he was telling me – he You can blame um, him for me, by the way. He's the one who hired me for my first ever job in the minors, so you can blame him. Well, there you go. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> now we know. That was part of the conversation, I'm right. sure. Shout out to North Johnson. <laughs> um, but you know, he was saying you know, this is big because every – the Braves own all but one of their minor league teams, and all the minor league teams they own have been named the Braves. And, um, you know, in that organization, there's not much uh, willingness or tolerance for, you know, the typical zany minor league branding and identities, obviously. They just say we're the Braves and our teams are the Braves. You know, they own the team, so more power to them. But North is pointing out that you have this threefold uh, confluence of facts or factors uh, in Gwinnett, which is, you know, they're owned by the team. They play in the same market and they have the same name as the parent club. And he said he's, he doesn't he's not aware of any other teams that share all three characteristics. And therefore, with such similarities, uh, you know, being owned by them, having the same name and being in the same market, uh, that some uh, differentiation was needed. So uh, that is leading us up to Friday's big unveil. And then speaking of team names, uh, you had a fun idea, I think, since our last podcast. Uh, you threw it out there that some of these team names, you know, it, it sounds like there's something else necessarily. Like my idea was the Brooklyn Cyclones, they're named after the ride. Um, so you were looking for people who or teams that had gotten calls or emails or something like that. People not expecting to reach a baseball team, but maybe something else. What kind of response did you get from that? Well, I'm just calling this whole topic just mistaken identities in the world of uh, better way of putting it. In the world of uh, minor league baseball, essentially, there's a lot of unique team names out there, but those unique team names can be confused with completely other, completely different businesses. And uh, so I have a tweet up. You can check it out. Twitter at Ben's Biz. Follow me. I just passed the vaunted 9,000 mark. I don't think uh, anyone. I, I think only Obama has more followers than me. <laughs> and um, 
you know, I asked that question in teams of your, have you been mistaken for other entities and a lot of great responses on that thread and spoiler alert, it's being turned in that, uh, this topic is being turned into an article and corresponding blog post that I'm working on now, you know, talking to teams like the Harrisburg senators about how they get calls from angry constituents, you know, looking for, uh, <laughs> you know, elected officials, uh, things like that. You know, the actual tourists are constantly, they're getting inundated with calls from potential visitors to Asheville who think it's the tourism board that they're calling that sort of thing. There's a lot of examples. Check out the tweet on my Twitter feed, and uh, stay tuned for a lot more. This been it's been busy, you know. In recent weeks, I've been complaining about how slow things are, but with all these rebrandings, got some good story ideas. Um, got some other articles in the pipeline coming up. The winter meetings next week. All of a sudden, my life has meaning again, and it's been too long. Because um, when Ben's Biz has nothing going on, does Ben's Biz even exist? I wonder that every night. Um, <laughs> in my apartment that I live in alone. I missed this well, thread completely, the by the way, and there are some really, really good responses in here. They're really good ones. Um, the uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones said, quote, the Brooklyn Bolts are a football team that used to play here, and we still receive emails asking us for price quotes on nails and screws. So not only are they getting emails intended for an organization that has been defunct for like five years, but that is a misperception of what that organization was. There's some really good ones in this. It's going to be a fun story. It is. I mean, I'm writing it. I mean, was there, was there even obviously was there any doubt? Yeah. It just reminds me of the days of the yellow pages that we actually use those things. <laughs> like somebody just looking through and like, here's the West Virginia power. This is definitely why I don't have electricity right now. Like they need to be called ASAP. Like that's just what I imagined everybody did was looking up on the yellow pages. The West Virginia power. Like, Googling this would be too easy and, and show you why. X team is not like the Nashville sounds are not a music company or something like that. The Nashville sounds said that they the, had music the American public submitted to them uh, through their Facebook page. The Nashville sounds said as part of this and the West Virginia power said their staff trivia name is always quote, not the power company, West Virginia power baseball. It is really impressive how some people just, uh, they don't dig into the details. So that's going to be a fun one. Keep an eye out for it. Benjamin Hill uh, on Twitter at Ben's biz blog is Ben's bizmlblogscom uh, We are only a few days away from the opening of the 2017 winter meetings at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida, December 10th to the 15th. Um, obviously, the the big headlines that generally come out of the winter meetings have to do with player transactions and free agent signings and trades and all that kind of stuff. But it's a massive date on the minor league baseball calendar as well. And Ben is always in the thick of it. Give us a preview of what's coming up in Orlando. Yeah, you've been to one-minute meetings. You've kind of been to them all. I don't mean that in a cynical way, but they follow the same formula, and I'll be all over it, as you said. You know, on the minor league side, it's it's programmed events. Uh, I'll be showing up early this year, and uh, uh, I'm one of the speakers at the Business of Baseball workshop on Sunday uh, talking about my road trips and my job to uh, people who are looking to break into the baseball industry. And, um, you know, got some potential interviews lined up. Uh, uh, rumors that uh, might visit the trade show and put it on Facebook Live. That's going to be um, – a lot of fun. Check, yeah. check that out. Um, you know, attending galas, banquets, awards, speeches, um, but mainly just hobnobbing with the industry and, um, you know, getting my last uh, bit of uh, ego fuel from being in a room or various rooms or a hotel where people know who I am and uh, I feel fulfilled. And we, um, yeah, so we'll be there together too. So we'll be podcasting together from one of our hotel rooms next week. 
Yes, we yes. will. We, we we definitely will. Whose hotel room will it be? I don't know. Time we'll will tell. Yeah. Tune in next. Student week. separate rooms, and one of you has to call the other. We'll bring you on via phone from like down the hall. <laughs> Seems like a lot of yeah. fun. Benjamin, you just hear a door open, and it'll still be Ben talking, and then he'll enter the <laughs> room. We're just using the same the Wi-Fi same, the whole time. The same spot on the same yeah. microphone. It'll be entertaining. We'll do. Uh, we're it's Inception style podcasting. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz, and the blog is Ben'sBiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, again, you'll be listening to this podcast. Maybe on Thursday. If you don't catch us until Friday, then the Gwinnett team name is probably out there, and we will talk about that coming up next week. In addition to uh, all of the uh, the latest and greatest from the world of the baseball winter meetings, already winter meetings time. Ben, enjoy the trip, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, it's busy, and I'm, I'm happy about it. And uh, you know, I'd like to say when I walked in here earlier, you guys were having like a very heartfelt, personal conversation, and I'd just like to encourage you to have more. Uh, emotionally honest open and vulnerable conversations on this podcast <laughs> so it's not just minor league baseball i think you guys are both sensitive and kind souls and that uh by opening up about your own personal struggle struggles that others some of our other other listeners could relate you remember those what old episodes struggles? of home improvement i don't have personal struggles what personal struggles are you talking about <laughs> remember those old episodes of home improvement where tim would just stop his community access television program to just rant about something in his personal life i don't think that was ever really a very realistic thing oh we're gonna show you how to put in a door frame how about this thing with women am i right not uh that's well gonna be i our, think you guys should do your version of this on the podcast feel free to bring me into it you know <laughs> let's, let's, let's take this to new levels future programming platform that'll be it yeah we'll take it to new levels with uh it'll be a, an emotional step forward on the show before the show podcast thanks ben hey thanks this episode this is, this is turned into a fun episode this week this was a very like the podcast mascot dog. Uh, we are not going to be talking about our personal no. problems um no episode. we probably won't uh ran out of time unfortunately this week sorry folks tune yeah. in next week to see if we that's going to turn into our uh, matt damon <laughs> sign off like, tune in next- yeah oh, oh, just another man. week where we couldn't talk about can't believe stuff. it darn it um yeah see oh. if uh if episode 138 if we dive into the uh the existential rantings of two dudes trying to figure out where they fit into the world um like the podcast dog uh the mascot of the show before the show just jumped off of my leg so i don't know if you could hear a collar jingle in the background but she was saying hello to everyone as well and um yeah i guess that'll wrap things up for this week yeah next next week i'll be talking to you ben on will be location. talking to you from orlando yeah. on exciting. location yeah we'll try not to be in the middle of those scrums while we're doing it we'll find a nice quiet place um but yeah, that that'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully, we'll we'll have a couple interviews for you guys, uh, kind of on site, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. As as much as we try to preview the winter meetings, uh, I know Ben from his side. He said he's been to a couple of these. He kind of knows the lay of the land, and I was certainly following him around last year. But in terms of what trades are going to come and and what prospects are going to be traded and all that kind of stuff. Uh, don't know until everybody's in the same place. So that'll be a lot of fun. Should be good. And, uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting winter meetings um, with, with Stanton, with Otani, and with all kinds of stuff. Uh, there is a report today, by the way, out of NBC Bay Area that Shohei Otani, um, or that Giancarlo Stanton, rather, should make his decision on where he will be going or if he will be going anywhere at all by the end of this week. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Gwinnett's team name, all that other stuff that's coming up toward the end of the week as well. And uh, a big thanks. There's the dog saying hello. There yeah, she there is, she's definitely and yelling is. at everybody. Um, 
and uh, a big thanks to Anthony Alford for joining the show from Mexico. And uh, you can follow, by the way, um, all the Caribbean leagues and uh, scores and stats and information and all that and rest at MLB.com. They've got information on the Caribbean Winter Leagues as well as, uh, you know, all the other craziness that will be going down over the next few weeks with the winter meetings and more. Uh, for Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Vaughn. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.